Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. I, I want to talk to you this morning about something that is near and dear to my heart. I love the gospel, and I feel that the gospel sometimes, you know, we know what the gospel is. We know that the gospel is good news, right? The good news is that Jesus came to save us. Save us from what? From our sin. Because of the sin in our life, God saves us from our guilt, The guilt of sin, the guilt of punishment is no longer on us, but God rescues us. He gives us a hope, a future, a new identity in him. But how many know that has to be received? How many know that salvation has to be received? You can confess it, you can believe it, but I also believe you need to receive it. And I think one of the things that sometimes keeps us from receiving the fullness of the gospel is shame. And that's what I want to speak to you about this morning, is being shameless, being shameless. Turn to your neighbor and say, you've got to be shameless, shameless. When the gospel comes to us, the gospel, as I said, releases us of our guilt. Jesus takes the guilt off of us, but we need to release the shame. Jesus comes and says, you are no longer guilty of sin. The pronouncement of punishment is no longer hanging over your head. But we sometimes still carry around the shame from our past and from things we've done. And what I believe Jesus wants to do today is release the shame from your life. I believe... I believe that today's message for many of you is going to be so helpful, you're going to think in a totally different way. I believe you're going to walk out of here with new freedom, new peace, new identity. You're going to understand who you are. And I don't want you to check out. I don't want you to think, oh, shame. I have no shame in my life. I'm already shameless, Pastor. Stay with me. Hang in there. Because I also believe shame can be universal. I want to show you in the scriptures, you know, all the way back in the Old Testament, you can see in the book of Isaiah how Israel rebelled against God. They were supposed to honor God, obey God, live for God, but they rebelled against him. They disobeyed him. They murdered. They broke his laws. They were adulterous. They they lied. They cheated. They just disobeyed God, broke all of his laws. And because of that, in Isaiah, it says that there would be judgment, that there would be a time where God would correct them because of their sin. But even in that, God leaves hope and says, even after the correction comes, I'm leaving a way out for you to be restored. That's the heart of God. God always wants to restore. I want to read this scripture with you from Isaiah chapter 61, verse 7. That chapter, by the way, if you, if, if, this afternoon, you're at the beach, you're sitting by your home, you're sitting in front of an air conditioner, and you just want to read something, I would encourage you to read Isaiah chapter 61. It is a powerful chapter. Jesus quoted this chapter when he was standing in the synagogue. He opened up a scroll and he read from this chapter. There's so much in here, but I want to just read one verse to you today. Verse 7, it says, instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion. And and instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. And so you will inherit a double portion, say double, a double portion in your land. And everlasting joy will be yours. Do you receive it today? God's portion for you is not shame. 
It's to be shameless. It's to be freed from guilt, but also freed from shame. Are you with me? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this word today. I pray, God, that as we continue to examine this scripture and examine your promises and understand who you are, I pray, God, today that shame just drops off of us. Lord, that there is a new confidence and a new boldness in every one of us this morning. Lord, we love you. We thank you. Bless this time in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. 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 Speaking of shame, I want to share with you guys a moment when I was ashamed. I was... uh, in Providence this past week, driving around the city, my wife had a meeting, so I had the boys with me, they were in the back seat, and I said, hey, let's uh, drive by my old high school. I went to LaSalle Academy, I was a la-la boy, so I, uh, I-, I wanted to show the boys my school, they never had been to LaSalle, so I wasn't going inside, but just showing them the outside, and as I was driving, this ever happened, you just get flooded with all kinds of memories. How many wish you could just forget high school, just like erase that, Lord, just <laughs> wipe away my past, Lord. As I was thinking about high school, I just remembered this time that uh, it was on a weekend. I actually wasn't in high school, but it was, uh, it was on the weekend, freshman year. And I remember someone gave me like a suction cup. I don't know where I got the thing from. And like a teenager, you're just messing around. So I'm messing around with the suction cup, seeing what it'll suck to, sucking it to my arm. <laughs> Sitting down, watching TV. I grabbed the suction cup and I said, oh, I wonder if it'll stick to my forehead. <laughs> Probably know where this is going. So I put it on the forehead. I'm watching TV. And of course, teenagers watch TV for 20 minutes. No, they watch it all afternoon. So I'm watching TV and I totally forget this thing is stuck to my forehead. I don't know if you know what happens if you suck your skin for a long period of time. But I remember I took this thing off my forehead. My sister looks at me and she's like, oh my gosh, you have a perfectly... Oval, I, was this, I still remember, perfectly oval plastic toy, and it was just perfect on my forehead. Ran to the bathroom, looked in the mirror, and I was just mortified. Because I know tomorrow is what? Monday. And tomorrow I have to go to school. So, like, my mind is racing, and I'm just thinking, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? I do not want to go to school tomorrow. How do I explain this thing getting on my forehead? If it was on my neck, maybe I could, you know, make up a story. But... Sorry, I'm sorry, Pastor. Sorry. I didn't have a girlfriend in high school. They would have known that. <laughs> I was thinking maybe I could be like the karate kid, put a bandana around my head, just tie it, you know, sensei, I'm here. But LaSalle had a dress code, so I couldn't do that. I was just mortified. I had no idea what to do. I was like, Mom, I can't, I can't go to school with this thing in my head. My mom said, You're going to school, you're gonna learn your lesson. Thanks, Mom. So I go to school Monday, and of course, I'm just mortified, and of course, everyone is just mocking me, merciless, my best friends abandoned me. I just have no friends that day, awful, awful experience. Now, we can laugh about that, but not all shame is laughing, right? That's lighter. I was not laughing at, you know, 15 years old or whatever I was. Today, I can laugh at it. Today, you can laugh with me and laugh at me, but... But a lot of times our shame is heavy, and it hurts. You know, I think that guilt sometimes, you know, produces a wound in us, but I also believe shame produces a scar. And you see that, and you remember, and it still hurts, and sometimes you touch it, and it's just too tender. You know, even when I was talking to my siblings about high school and trying to think about times that we were ashamed, I could, I was actually getting all these memories, and I was like, oh my gosh, I forgot about that, but that is, that's hurtful stuff. Shame is one of those things. 
It really is hurtful. But what is shame? What is shame? We're talking about this, I think many times when we think of shame, we think of it as an emotion. But I think shame is more than an emotion. I want to show you this definition that I have. It's not an emotion, but a negative core belief about yourself. It's a negative core belief about yourself. It's more than just a feeling. I think a feeling is like, it's how it manifests itself, right? You feel bad, but it's actually messing around with your identity. It starts to get you to think that you're worthless, that you're not good enough. It gets under your skin, into your heart, and it messes around with who you actually are. And that's why shame is so corrosive and it's so poisonous and so deadly and we should have nothing to do with it. Pain, uh, shame is the kind of thing that it, it, it doesn't just make you feel worthless, but it has a good memory, right? Shame remembers things you've done and is so willing to bring it back up and th throw it back into your face. Shame is also the, kindly, the kind of thing that makes you lonely. You start to think, I don't belong. I don't want to be around anyone. You, we start to withdraw and shrink into our shame. But how many know God has a way out? God does not want us. He does not want us to shrink back into our shame. And where does that come from? There's a lot of different places I think shame comes from. One is Satan. It is spiritual. There's a spiritual part to shame. Did you know the name Satan literally means accuser? What's he doing? He's actually accusing you of your past. He's trying to remind you of things you did in the past and how you fell short and how you messed up. He's always there to whisper in your ear, you're not good enough. You've never changed. There is a spiritual side to shame. But it's not just spiritual. Sometimes we get shame from others. People will actually heap shame onto us. They'll speak words that are corrosive and destructive. I've heard people compare other people, shaming them. This happens to my wife and I, and I hate it. I, if, if you ever go out to eat with my wife and I, never do this. We will correct you right there and stop it. Because there are times that I'm with couples, and, and a, a wife will actually tell her husband in front of me, oh, you, why don't you do that? You should be like him. It's like, I don't want to be like, you know, don't compare your husband to me. I'm taking, my wife is right here. This is all awkward. Stop what you're doing, you know. Don't compare. Sometimes we think if we shame someone, that will change someone. But shame is hurtful. God does not use shame. He convicts, but conviction leads to restoration. Shame does not do that. It tries to destroy, tries to disable. It's not just spiritual. And it doesn't just come from other people. How many know shame sometimes come from within, right? Am I the only one? Sometimes you get that negative self-talk, that negative voice that gets in your head and it starts to say some of those phrases. Maybe you know the language of shame. I'm not good enough. Why can't I be like so-and-so? I keep messing up. I can't do anything right. What is that? That's the language of shame. I've heard people say, I hate myself. That is not the way God speaks to us, amen? That's not the way the Holy Spirit would speak to you. Cast aside voices, even if it's your own voice, even if it's your own thoughts, don't receive that. Shut it down. But this problem of shame, it's not a new problem. And it's not a problem just limited to a couple of people here in the church. I think it's, number one, universal, and I think it's ancient. I think it's universal. Anywhere you go in the world, there's shame. I know that there are some cultures where shame and honor are like, it's the most important value. 
here in America, maybe, you know, honor is not as, as big a deal, but I, I grew up in an Asian household. People like to wonder, you know, Pastor David, what nationality are you? There, there you go. Now you know. My dad was Asian, Filipino. He was Chinese and, and Spanish. And with my father, he grew up in an honor and shame culture. It was, so, it, it was so important to that culture that I remember my dad wouldn't swear. He never cursed, but he would have this phrase, this saying, whenever he was mad, mad at us as kids, you know, acting up, he would say, walanya, walanya. And I asked my Filipino cousins, I said, what does walanya mean? And they're like, oh my gosh, walanya? Your dad said walanya to you? I was like, yeah, I mean, I was messing up. I was a kid, what do you want? But he said, he said walanya means you have no shame. And it's because in that culture, it's so important. Shame, honor, these are things that are universal. But it's not just universal, I believe it's an ancient thing. Shame goes all the way back, all the way back to the beginning. Look at Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, you see Adam and Eve in the garden. God gives them one law. They break that law. You know, the, you know how the story goes. And the Bible says in Genesis chapter 3, because they broke God's law immediately, they were guilty and they were ashamed. They, the Bible says this. It says they were naked. They realized they were naked and they hid themselves because they were afraid. They shrunk away and hid themselves. What, is, what does shame do? It causes you to withdraw. Right there in Genesis chapter 3, we see that Shame was causing people, causing Adam and Eve to withdraw and hide themselves from others. What does shame do? Three things. I think the shame poisons. It poisons the mind. It isolates and it paralyzes. Poisons the mind. Again, we start to think we're unworthy. We start to think we're not good enough. We're unlovable. These are the, 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 the poisonous ideas that shame brings. Shame also isolates. It gets us to, to shrink back, right? All of a sudden... Adam and Eve are no longer enjoying perfect fellowship and friendship with Jesus or with God, but instead they hide themselves. The shame was on them. They hid themselves from God. And then third, it paralyzes us. Shame can actually immobilize us where we, we almost lock up and we don't want to move forward. We're afraid to move forward. There have been times that I've talked to folks who, who have been saved for months and years, and I've said, you know, it sounds like your next step is to get baptized. And then they immediately step back and say, but pastor, I don't think I'm ready. What is that really? That's really a voice of shame. It's really a voice that there's still things in my life that, that, that I'm holding on to. And I'll remind them, but Jesus has forgiven you. Do you receive his forgiveness? Do you accept his identity? Yes, I believe all that. But you need to drop the shame. Shame is the kind of thing that even keeps us from moving forward and finding freedom and taking our next step, becoming disciples. This is what shame does. But again, shame is not your portion. Shame is not your portion. That is not what God has for you. I want, to, I want you to hear this, that if you want to become shameless, the first step to becoming shameless is to know God more. The first step to shameless is God more. Know who God is. Again, let's go back to our scripture here, the one from Isaiah chapter 61. It says, instead of your shame, this is God's promise to all of us, say it's mine. This is God's promise to you. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion. And instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. And so you will inherit a double portion in the land. And everlasting joy will be yours. There's so much just in this one verse. 
instead. So we're supposed to have guilt, but God says that's not going to be your portion. So he takes away the guilt. He's taking away the shame. He says, instead of this, you will receive a double portion. That phrase, double portion, is used just a handful of times in the Bible. And every time it's used, it's talking about favor. It's talking about favoritism. In fact, in the Old Testament, the firstborn male received a double portion of the inheritance. Well, you say, that's not fair. That's exactly right. <laughs> because with God, it's not fair. With God, he says, I choose to bless you. I choose to love you. I know that you're sinful. I know that you're guilty. But I love you anyways. This is the thing about God. Grace is not fair. Grace is, I love you despite your shortcomings, despite your failures, despite how you've messed up. I love you. God says, you get a double portion. A double portion of your inheritance. And he continues. He says, instead of disgrace... The enemy wants to see you disgrace. That is not God's plan for you. N not disgrace, but you will rejoice. Rejoice. Say, be happy. God's will is for you to be happy again. To rejoice. Not to sink into this thing. Not to hold on to the shame, but to release it. To unload it. To say, God, I drop my burden. I'm not carrying this any longer. I rejoice. I'm happy again. And he says, and you will inherit a double portion in your land. He says it so many times. You notice that? Inheritance, double portion. And then he says, in the land, your land. You know, I believe shame is like a pit. And it's where Satan wants to bring us. It's where our flesh wants to withdraw us into a pit, the pit of shame. But that's not the place that God has for you. God is a place of paradise, a place of belonging, a place of promise for you. And he gives it to you. He offers it to you. It's the place of blessing, your land. And everlasting joy will be yours. Everlasting, eternal, it never ends. God wants to replace the shame and give you joy. Take away the disgrace and give you peace, give you belonging. Do you receive it? I think sometimes it's hard for us. A couple of weeks ago, I was talking to... A woman who called the church and she, she was just, uh, she, she, she had messed up and she had sinned and she felt like God couldn't love her. In fact, her exact words were, but pastor, I don't believe that God loves me. And what is that? That again is the language of shame. It's not the language of favor. It's not the language of grace and mercy that we see in Isaiah and throughout the rest of the Bible. That's not what God has for us. God loves all of us. God can't help himself. When you think of God, you think of how big he is and how powerful he is and how mighty he is, but make sure you're also thinking about how good he is and how everlasting and how unbounding his love is, that there's no end to it. He just loves you. He can't help it. You read through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, and what do you see? The story of God's love for his people. You read the parables, and you see that God is the God who loves Jesus is constantly trying to teach us and show us in story form that God loves you. You see him as the good shepherd. He leaves the 99. The 99 were good sheep. They were where they were supposed to be. But one wandered off, did their own thing. But God still loves that shepherd, left the 99. It's not fair. But he left them to protect the one. God is the good father and the prodigal son. 
The son who literally takes his father's inheritance, treats his father like he's dead, takes his money, wanders off, spoils the money, spends it, sinks into loneliness, sinks into despair, loses everything he has. But as soon as the father has a chance to bring his son back into the home, what does he do? He restores him. This is the God we love. This is the God that we serve. For me, I've got three boys. When they mess up, I don't kick them out of the family. They would have been out a long time ago. (laughs) I would have been out. My wife would have kicked me out. It's not like I drop drop the last name off their name. Your name is now David of no father, you know. No, he's David Dela Cruz, Jonathan Dela Cruz, Benjamin Dela Cruz. They will always be my boys. I love them. There's an endless love that I have for them. Maybe you have to be a parent to appreciate that, right? To look at a child, and even in their messed up, even when they fall short, yes, you correct them. Yes, you're angry. Amen? Oh. But you still love them. Deep down, they're always in your family. They're always going to be a part of your plans. You're always wishing good for them, and that's what God has for you. He wishes good for you. He loves you. He restores you. All throughout the Bible, this is the story of who God is. I think there's still this cycle, though, of shame. This, we get stuck in this thing. And I know that God wants to break you free from it. And I know some of you may even recognize where you are in this cycle. I want to show it to you. The cycle of shame. It starts here. We fall short in sin, right? We mess up. We miss the mark. We fail. We know we're not doing or where we're supposed to be. We sin. That leads us to guilt and shame. We know that we've let God down. Just like Adam and Eve, they messed up. And then as a result of that, we fall into secrecy. We're conscious and aware of our own shortcomings. And we know we're embarrassed of it. We're ashamed by it. We fall into secrecy. We don't want anyone to know. And if you don't want anyone to know, what do you have to do? Withdraw from people. You start to fall into isolation and separation. When you see yourself in this cycle, you know you're in an unhealthy cycle. If you find yourself suddenly starting to withdraw from people and places where you know God wants you to be. How many know God wants you to be in the church? This is where you're going to find grace. You're going to find belonging. You're going to find God's place. You're going to be able to rejoice. When the enemy tries to tell you, pull away from that. Stay home. It even happens not even just, just in church. It happens in families. Sometimes a husband or a wife or children are so shamed, they start to pull away from their family. They start to, they they fall into sin and the guilt and shame is so overwhelming that they step away from even the ones that love them because they start to get those poisonous ideas in their mind. But I want you to break that cycle of shame. And I believe the Holy Spirit is here today to break that cycle of shame. So I want to give you four Four steps in this process of breaking the cycle of shame. The The first one, the first one is number one, repent of any sin. Repent of any sin. 1 John 1.9 says that if we confess our sin, God is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sin. And then he cleanses us of all unrighteousness. The first step, if you want to break the cycle of shame, get away from this. The first step is identify the sin in your life. If there's parts of your life where you know you've fallen short, 
You've wandered from God. You know you're doing or where you're not supposed to be. Confess it to God. Say, God, I give it to you. I no longer want this thing to hold me, be a barrier between you and I. I want nothing to separate you from I. I want nothing to separate me from others. God, remove this sin from my life. That's the first step. And I would say that if you've sinned against other people, you may need to go to them and repent to them and ask them for their forgiveness. Go to them and say, I've sinned against you. I no longer want this to be something that is held between you and I. That's step one. Repent of any sin in your life. Number two is to receive God's grace. Receive God's grace. Romans 8 verse 1 says, There is now therefore no condemnation. Say no. No. Condemnation. Condemnation. All right, I got you. Thank you. (laughs) No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God says, I no longer condemn you. Some of you need to right now just receive that. Maybe you need to even right now just close your eyes and say, God, I receive this truth. I receive your grace. There is no condemnation in my life. Notice what it says in Romans 8.1. It says, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Where do you have to be? In Christ You see, when shame comes on this, the instinct is to hide. That's a good instinct. But the instinct should be to hide in Christ. Not in shame. Not in guilt. But to stay in Christ. To stay in community. Not to wander away and do your own thing, but stay close to God. Close to the community. When we come to Christ, we receive his grace and he gives us his forgiveness. This is one reason why I love the fact that we do baptisms and we have people share their stories. Because every time someone is speaking and they're sharing their story, what are they doing? They're declaring who they are, that they are a new creation in Christ Jesus. That's what we're seeing today. This person was baptized in the water. That's a symbol of you leaving your old life behind. And then you rise to new life. The shame the guilt, all of that, the sin, the separation, the isolation, the poisonous thinking, it stays in the waters of baptism, and God cleanses you and brings you to new life. It's powerful. Every time you hear a story, you are seeing someone become shameless, someone becoming graceful and full of God's mercy and his love and his grace. Third step, third step to becoming Free from this cycle of shame. Third step is to remember who you are and who God is. Remember who you are and who God is. Remember, Satan wants to accuse you, remind you of your past. But God has given you a new identity. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are God's handiwork. Created in Christ to do good works. You are God's handiwork. The word there is poema. That's the Greek word. It's the the same word that we would use to write a beautiful poem, a beautiful piece piece of art, uh, 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 art or literature. God is saying, you are my poem. You are my masterpiece. You are my handiwork. I am making you and fashioning you and building you. That's who you are. Remember your identity, but also remember who God is. You are not in this thing all by yourself, but you are connected to someone of infinite worth. 
You are connected to someone of infinite love, a God who loves you so completely and so fully, unimaginably. Remember who God is. Remember, Jesus didn't just come to save the righteous. In fact, he didn't come to save the righteous. He came to save what? The sinful. He didn't come for your righteousness. Sometimes we think if we're just good enough, God will love us. That's not how it works. God loves you despite the fact that you mess up. He loves you so completely and so fully. Remember who God is and also who you are. And then finally, number four, rebuild your relationships. Rebuild your relationships. Remember, shame will want you in isolation. It will try to take you from community. It will take you and separate you from the ones that you love. But God's desire for you is to restore and rebuild those relationships. Maybe there are people that you've hurt and you're ashamed of that. Go back and start reconciling. Have you gone to them and begged their forgiveness, asked their forgiveness? Have you acknowledged your wrongdoing? Have you been willing to say, I want to make things right? I take ownership for what I've done. Do that to God, but do that to others, people that you've hurt. In Christ Jesus, here's some statements. I love what the Bible says. So many positive things about who you are. You are, you are a child of God. You are, you can say amen. If any of this, you agree, you, you receive it. If not, you know, I'm not pushing it. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. All right, I got an amen over there. You are a saint in Christ Jesus. Come on, do I get an amen in the balcony? You are born again and a child of God. You are a citizen of heaven and you belong to him. These are all things the Bible says about you. Next time shame tries to come on you, you don't receive that. Satan says shame on you. Jesus says shame off of you. Shame off of you. Mercy on you. Grace on you. Love on you. 1 John 4 says there is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. You and I no longer have to be afraid of punishment. Amen? There's no guilty sentence hanging over your head. But God receives you as a son, as a daughter. He makes you a firstborn, gives you a double portion, has promised you a land. Incredible, just powerful, powerful, powerful. But you've got to be in community. You've got to be in community. This past week on Monday, I, I received a phone call from uh, a woman who wanted to meet, and she was, thank God, she's been celebrating eight months of sobriety. Eight months, that's awesome. And she was sharing with me, she said, Pastor, you know, I, I've been coming to the church and I'm sober, but she said, I'm, I'm terrified of leaving my house after 2 p.m. because I, I, I'm afraid that I'm going to be tempted to go back into my old sin patterns. And we started to talk about, well, what are you doing? And she said, well, I just come to church. I said, you need more than that. You need community. You need connection. That day she signed up and she joined a crew. That day, she ended up joining Movement Corps. She's going to become a part of the church and join the A-team. She's going to join our Bible study on Tuesdays. What is she doing? She knows that to overcome shame and break that cycle of shame, she needs to be in community. She needs to restore and rebuild her relationships. And that's for all of us. That's for all of us. Thanks for listening to the Awakening Podcast. We hope this message has encouraged you. 
If you want to learn more about our church, visit us online at awakening.global. We'll see you soon.